the Legal Toolkit with Jared Correa. With guest, Margaret Burke, we play not-so-happy endings. And then, inspired by rap legends the Beastie Boys, Jared demonstrates how to prepare a delightful side dish for your next family gathering. But first, your host, Jared Correa. It's time for the Legal Toolkit Podcast. That's right, hide the rubbing alcohol from Kitty Dukakis. And yes, it's still called the Legal Toolkit Podcast, even though my strap wrench doesn't fit me anymore. I'm your host, Jared Korea. You're stuck with me because Robert Stack was unavailable. He was too busy turning into a truck and then a robot and then back into a truck again. I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, a business management consulting service for attorneys and bar associations. Find us online at redcavelegal.com. I'm the COO of Gideon Software, Inc. We build chatbots so law firms can convert more leads and conversational document assembly tools so law firms can build documents faster and more accurately. You can find out more about Gideon at gideonlegal.com. Now, before we get to our guest today, that's Margaret Burke. Let's talk about how kids' stories used to go. I grew up in the early 80s, which was a pretty dope time to be alive, if we're being honest. I mean, the 90s were pretty fucking amazing too, but the 80s were pretty chill. And being under 10 means you have no responsibility. It's all gravy. There was no internet. There was far less bullshit to deal with. No one was chasing clout. And you could actually do things without being forced to bring a smartphone everywhere. Or worried that someone was going to record you on theirs. It'd be cool if I could do a kickstand in private, you know? I mean, not when I was 10, when I was 11. When I was a kid, I liked to do three things. Read books, watch TV, and play outside. Parents would tell you this is impossible, but let me assure you, I read a shit ton of books and watched a shit ton of television. And as anyone would know who came of age before streaming, television used to be a, literally appointment viewing because there were literally no on-demand services where you could watch whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted. We watched whatever was on the three channels that we had until we started stealing cable with an illegal black box. Wait, we never did that. So there were some great Hanna-Barbera cartoons I watched when I was a kid that came out in the late 60s, like Scooby-Doo. But there were also a lot of reruns from the 50s and the early 60s that were still on TV at that time. And they were on, like, all the time ran on a loop. Of course, there was a captive audience in place and syndication was really profitable. So if you didn't want to go watch seven straight hours of Banachek reruns, what were you going to do? Go outside? I don't fucking think so. Iconic reruns of cartoons like the Flintstones and the Jetsons were cool, I guess. They were kind of like the Simpsons of their day, but probably my favorite old school cartoon was The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle and Friends. Yes, that was the name of the show. The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle and Friends. Now that's going to become important in a second because the main show was great, but there were also a number of additional shows presented as bookends for that primary program, which was a trick that would later be borrowed by the Animaniacs and other cartoon series. So here's a recap or a primer if you've never seen Rocky and Bullwinkle. The original series ran from 1959 to 1964 with new episodes before entering into syndication as well as being rebooted a number of times after that. The show was created by J. Ward Productions. And let me tell you, J. Ward was a real wild motherfucker. He invented Captain Crunch, literally invented the character Captain Crunch, 
And he once bought an island in Minnesota, named it Musylvania after Bullwinkle, and tried to get it admitted as the 51st state. The only problem was that he decided to try to position President Kennedy on that during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Not a great idea. And that, children, is why we still only have 50 states. Also, Homer Simpson's middle initial, which is J, is inspired by J. Ward, who often gave his characters the middle initial J after his first name. So, the primary device is the Rocky and Bullwinkle show, which is effectively a variety show and which features Rocket J. Squirrel, see that, known as Rocky, as a flying squirrel. And he, or she, I think he's a he, I can't remember, is the sidekick of Bullwinkle J. Moose, a moose. As is the case in some of these animated features, Bullwinkle is really dumb and he kind of stumbles his way into wins, kind of like Inspector Gadget, while Rocky is really the smart one, although ostensibly the sidekick. The bad guys are named Boris Badenov and Natasha Fatal, who are from the fictional European country of Pottsylvania. I vacationed there last year, where their fearless leader, whose name is Fearless Leader, tries to coordinate their activity. They're kind of like Gomez and Morticia from the Adams Family. One of them's short and fat, the other one's tall and slim. Only they're international spies who cannot smart an anthropomorphic moose and squirrel. Weak sauce. They try to foil Rocky and Bullwinkle's plan. They fail. Rinse and repeat. So that's the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. Now, the other shows within the show are really good, too. Dudley Do-Right is a Canadian Mountie. Sorry, that was probably redundant. Who always tries to do the right thing. Get it? His horse is named Horse. And his antagonist is called Snidely Whiplash. You've probably heard of, even if you don't know. That comes from Dudley Do-Right. Dudley is since upskilled and is now an engineer at Clio, surprisingly enough. Peabody's improbable history is about a dog named Peabody who has invented a time travel machine and takes his owner, Sherman, along with him for adventures as his sidekick. So if you're thinking Peabody and Sherman sounds a lot like Rick and Morty, if Rick was a dog, then you'd be right. There's just less swearing and violence, but it's functionally the same. Tiny Rick! But the best part of Rocky and Bullwinkle was Fractured Fairy Tales, since Rocky and Bullwinkle was effectively a parody show that used puns aggressively and violently, I would say, it made sense that they would parody traditional fairy tales and subvert people's expectations about them. So Fractured Fairy Tales would essentially reboot fairy tales in a modern context. For real, though, this series is what taught me to be subversive. If you ever wanted to know what the inspiration for making this fucked up podcast is, look no further than Fractured Fairy Tales. The reason I decided to do a monologue on Fractured Fairy Tales was because I was forcing my kids to watch it the other day, which I do from time to time. And there is a story of a tinker who makes good. Uh, lots of these stories are about tinkers, by the way, which if you're wondering, they're itinerant workers who fix metal utensils. Yeah, that was a real job back in the Middle Ages. And so this tinker, at the end of the episode, he finds his place in the world and is then unfortunately mistaken for an animal and killed by a shotgun-wielding hunter. So my kids were like, what the actual fuck? Is that the real end? And I was like, yeah. St. Avengers Affinity War, where everybody comes back to life, that motherfucker is dead. The actual dialogue contained a lot less cursing, so please don't call Family Protective Services, okay? We good there? Now, I guess in some ways, that's kind of more like traditional fairy tale endings, which we'll learn more about shortly. So maybe Fractured Fairy Tales was really taking it back to the old school. But if you've seen and can appreciate all the Shrek movies and spinoffs, like the new one, Puss in Boots, like Three Wishes, this is where it all started. 
So each episode is about five minutes long, and there are almost 100 episodes in total. It's got a great theme song where all the title cards get broken, and the voice cast is amazing. Edward Everett Horton is the narrator, and he was a feature film actor going back into the 1920s. That's pre-code era for those of you scoring at home. He has a long career as a voice actor in cartoons. He's great, and you definitely know his voice. He kind of sounds like Winnie the Pooh if Winnie the Pooh was a stockbroker. Paul Fries, June Foray, and Dawes Butler were also in the cast. Paul Fries did scores of voices in the Rankin-Bass Christmas specials. June Foray voiced Rocky and also did work for Disney Features and in the excellent Phantom Tollbooth movie. Dawes Butler voiced a boatload of famous cartoon characters. I mean, peep this list. Elroy Jetson, Snagglepuss, Huckleberry Hound, Yogi Bear, Chili Willy, Quick Draw McGraw, Barney Rubble, Hair Bear, and the Funky Phantom, among others. Just to offer you a smattering of plot lines then, in Speeding Beauty, a princess becomes a horse and finds a prince to kiss her, but she turns into a nagging wife. Bad beat. There are very few happy endings in Fractured Fairy Tales. In another episode, a tinker's son, of course, is granted a wish. His name is Nat, and he says he just wants to be himself. So he's turned into a gnat. Given a second chance, he legally changes his name to Arthur and becomes a painting that his dad hangs on the wall. He is literally art. His father told him throughout the episode that if he didn't change his ways, he'd be hanged, and he was. Yes, that's right, gallows humor before the children. In the Fractured Fairy Tales retelling of Hansel and Gretel, the kids leave on purpose. They don't get kicked out by their parents because their crazy parents start eating wood because they have no food. So the kids challenge the witch when they find her cottage, but her only magical power is to change children into aardvarks. Only she hates aardvarks. Then they meet a French-speaking duck who takes them back to their parents' house. Randomly, a French-speaking duck. I don't know why. The dad has decided to stop cutting wood and he starts hunting for food, which is the obvious solution to their hunger problem, of course. Uh, also, in The Son of King Midas, King Midas's son tries to become a dentist, but inherits the golden touch from his father and he turns all his patient's teeth into gold. So he visits the witch to de-golden touchify himself, but it doesn't work. So instead, he opens a locksmith business solely so the episode writers can make a Goldilocks pun. You can see why this is my jam. I love this shit. Every single episode is great, without exception. Kind of like our show. So, if you also want to traumatize your kids, pretty much all the Fractured Fairy Tales episodes are available on YouTube for free. You're on the hook for your own therapy bill, so I ain't paying for that shit. Now, before we get to our interview with Margaret Burke of MB Law Firm Consulting, let's take a quick break. What you may not know is the way that your law firm bills clients may directly impact whether they hire you in the first place. It's true. That's why I've got Joshua Lennon from Clio. He's a lawyer in residence over there to talk to me about this subject. Joshua, go ahead, expound. Yeah, 70% of clients are telling us they want to pay via payment plans. And while hourly rates are the most common fee structure offered by law firms, clients are telling us 67% that they want the option to pay for legal services via flat fees. Wow. So what should lawyers do? Well, only 37% of law firms actually offer flat fees on any legal matter. So if you want to stand out, start offering flat fees. Thanks, Joshua. To learn more about the billing preferences of today's legal clients, download Clio's Legal Trends Report for free at clio.com slash trends. That's Clio, spelled C-L-I-O dot com slash trends. 
partner with Rankings.io, the marketing agency for law firms that want results, not excuses. With flat rates for Google ads, a track record ranking attorneys for the most competitive terms on Google, and a team always easy to reach by phone, even during off hours, Rankings.io is the agency of choice for firms that want the rankings, traffic, and cases other law firm marketing agencies just can't deliver. Visit Rankings.io for a free consultation and start seeing your firm grow. Okay, everybody, let's get to the meat in the middle of this legal sandwich. Today's meat is rattlesnake, which I've actually eaten before. Let's do this thing. It's time to interview our guest. My guest today is Margaret Burke, the president of MB Law Firm Consulting. Margaret, welcome to the show. Very happy to be here. And let me thank you, because our audience should know that this is our second go-round of the Legal Toolkit with you, because my daughter had an epic tantrum last time we tried to record this. And now my son is staring at me eating Cheetos, so this is my life. So thank you for coming back, even though nobody will ever hear that first segment. This will be so much better. I appreciate it, seriously. I'm happy to be here, no problem. You just started a new business, which is super exciting. Whenever I get people who start businesses coming on the show, I like to hear the founder's story. So can you tell me like why you did that and yep. how it's going so far? Sure. I can't completely tell you other than to say it has been something that I've wanted to do for a long time. That mixed with just this recurring message to just go out and do it myself and combined with my background, very heavy background with law firm management, I just felt as though it was the time to go out on my own and give it a whirl. Excellent. And so, yeah, we jumped the gun a little bit there. What is the business that you've launched? Tell me about that. What services you're offering? Yep. MB Law Firm Consulting is a consulting firm that offers services to law firms. I exclusively work with law firms primarily because, one, I love working with attorneys. And you're the one person. Good for you. I am the one person. I always start by saying that. I always get a a comment. So my background (laughs) is in in law firm management, and I've been working in and with law firms for over 20 years. And, you know, as part of that, of course, I built up a lot of experience that probably contributes to my enjoying working with lawyers is because I feel as though I understand law firms. I understand the business of law. And, and what I do is I provide a few services, primarily fractional law firm management with a focus on coming in to a firm when they have a need for someone to manage their firm for them. The yep. attorneys want to free up and they don't have a resource in-house. And my focus is on coming in, managing and making changes and improvements and exiting you know, usually at around the six-month point. That's awesome. Okay, so before we get too deep into this, like, talk to me about your website, because I think you, you just released a new website. It's I got do. a fancy car on it. Talk yeah, to me about the car you. analogy. It really evolved from, like, looking under the hood, and it really does relate to law firms. So when I work with clients... Or I, I love get puns. Into, Keep going. When I work, <laughs> When I work with law firms... Usually, you know, someone reaches out or I have a conversation about one thing and then it ends up being something completely different that causes the reason that they called me. And it's yeah. really getting under the hood. And that's where the whole car 
theme came about. It's really so you're like in. a law firm mechanic. I'm like Did a I mechanic. Say that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm 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 like a mechanic. So this notion of like fractional consulting, fractional C-suite, CMO, COO, yeah. CFO, CEO, you're hearing that a lot more now. But I don't know if everybody who's listening to the show really understands what that is. So you, you talked a little bit about that, but could you describe to me what like a fractional service is when it comes to that high level staff person? Sure. Yeah. So a fractional service is an experienced individual, a team that comes in and provides support and service to a company that doesn't need that skill set full time, but right. they do need it part time. So you probably heard of fractional CFOs. I think that was one of the first fractional yes. positions that people came very familiar with. Now you'll hear a lot about fractional CMOs. And what the service I provide is really that of a fractional COO slash law firm executive director. So it's a combination of services. And, and for me, it is law firm management, oversight yes. of everything, though it includes things that would fall into CMO, CFO. So uh, marketing, HR, firm management, and strategic planning. So traditionally, law firms have like, this is my notion of this. You can tell me if you disagree. Law firms like love to throw lawyers at problems. They're like, oh, yeah. we need like an operations person. Let's pull a lawyer to do that. That's terrible decision-making as far as I'm concerned, because like those lawyers can make more money billing like a lawyer, and they don't have the skill set to do that kind of job. Like an operations person has a certain skill set. A chief marketing officer has a certain skill set. Is that part of the pitch here that you make as well? And do you see that same thing happening within firms? So I do. And, you know, there are some firms that will continue to have the founders, attorneys will want to continue to manage the firm. Many firms don't want that model any longer, but what they do want is to be kept informed. They also want to know that things are being handled and that their firm is being run very well with an eye on profitability. Right. So I, I think that there'll always be a group of firms that want to stay the way they are, and, and that's great. But then there's also better firms that want to evolve and improve. Do you find that this is more of a trend now than it has been? It sounds like a lot more firms are at least looking at this option of it fractional C-suite yeah. people. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, You mentioned at the beginning of our call that many folks don't understand what fractional is. And I think that many firms are starting to understand and, and, and look for people to come in on a part-time basis. I would say before COVID, there was less of a demand, but now that oh, many yeah. firms, the founders are working from home also, they're more comfortable with that fractional individual that's not in their firm every day. So this is a little bit of a increased comfort level for law firms too, right? So I think the gig economy is becoming more of a thing in legal, and that's part of this. And then also there's this notion of like non-attorneys being viable contributors to law firms. I think both those things have to be in play if you're going to opt for a fractional C-suite person to help out. So, like, what are your thoughts on that? Is that true? And do you see that developing? I, I think these are all good things, by the way, for law firms. Yeah, thank you. It, that is true. And I'll add a few other 
occasions or where I see people becoming more open to the fractional support, it can be a reaction to something that has happened. Oh, sure, so, yeah. Yeah, so firms will have growth, and their growth, which is wonderful, they may not be able to support that any longer. And they suddenly realize, sometimes on short notice, that they need to make a change right away. They become very open to fractional, especially when the market for people with strong law firm management experience is many wonderful people out there. I would yeah. say on a full-time basis, the salary pipe price point may be higher than firms want to get into initially while they're, they're dipping their toes and in, in having someone else help manage their firm. In addition, I have found that if there's an event that's unfavorable for the firm, they may have a group of attorneys suddenly leave and say, we're leaving because X, Y, Z, and those X, Y, Zs relate to the management of the firm. That's mm. another occasion where I think firms are becoming much more open to having a fractional COO. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think overall, there's also been this realization by many of us that, you know, you want some time off. You know, a lot of lawyers that are managing firms are working seven days a week sometimes. And, and they have yeah, become... Lawyers hate vacations. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because it seems as though a lot of lawyers are now, they want more time off but feel as though they can't take that because they're also managing the firm. And that right. has been a third yeah. realization is there There are resources. You don't need someone full time. So I'm guessing you find both these things to be true. Like sometimes a firm will grow out of a fractional person and then there's the opportunity to potentially have the option to go in as a full-time person with the firm. And then I assume that like as firms contract as well, like there's the opportunity to come in when a C-suite person has left. Are you seeing both those things happen? I'm sure you are. Both of those events occur, absolutely. I haven't seen a lot of firms downsizing. I've seen a lot of growth. Oh, that's a good sign, though. Yeah. Yeah. I will share the way I work with clients, and I'm, I'm really deliberate about this, and, and there's reason behind it, is I come into a firm with the goal of working with the firm on what I would call a temporary basis. And what I like to do is come in. It's usually triggered by an event. Quite yes. often they realize they need support. <laughs> I'll come in. Take Lawyers love of a tragedy to change what they do. They're like dinosaurs standing around the Yucatan Peninsula like 65 million years ago. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. Um, so what I do is I will come in with my team and hands-on manage the firm you know, to do that, there's a time frame where you need to learn. You, you get to know right. the people, you learn yeah. the systems. I take advantage of this opportunity, do an assessment, make recommendations, and implement improvements, changes, and also reinforce things that the firms are doing well, but not everyone is doing it. German, the oh, yeah, period yeah. that are with a firm, yeah. typically I would say six months is, is a sweet spot to do this. Fill yeah. a need during that time. And then sit down with a firm and make recommendations for continuing. Quite often, once the firm is in good order, things are in place, systems are in place, they can sometimes be someone that works at the firm that can fill in. Right. Okay. Or I can support hiring someone. Or mm. third, I can stay on in, in a capacity that works for the firm. 
Yeah, so a lot of options given that you're fractional and that you can kind of yeah. you can kind of flow with the needs of the firm, which is kind of I cool. can flow. And what I do, I'm very deliberate though when I come in on scheduling that meeting, so that we ensure that we sit down, take a look at the progress, and decide on the phase two. Now you mentioned before that like a lot of this really started picking up steam like post pandemic, really, and that was a time when lawyers started adopting more and more technology, so infinitely easier to do this type of work when you're using cloud software. And then, so I want to ask you about that, how you utilize that. And then the other question I have is like, how embedded are you within the firms? Like, are they giving you an email address? Are you on this Slack channel? Like, what do they want there? I am often, I don't want to say always, but if it's an ongoing engagement, I have an email. I am on Slack. If they use Slack or Google chat, it depends. And I'm very embedded in the firm. And I think that that's really important because it's hard yeah. to do a good job if you, if you don't work really closely with the folks at the firm as if you're part of the team. And my goal is to become part of the team. And the firms want that too, I would imagine. The like firms this is absolutely goal. want that. Yeah. yeah, they really do. And it's similar if they hired someone. They want that person to be integrated, to know the team because it's mm-hmm. if, if I'm not embedded in the firm, everyone's still going to the management partner. And the goal is to free up the management. So <laughs> right. I, I need to be embedded in order to be successful. So if I'm a law firm and I'm hearing this and I'm like, hey, that sounds like what I need. What am I looking for in terms of a fractional person? What kind of questions do I ask of a consultant, like from the law firm's perspective? Because I would imagine like a lot of this is like a first time thing for these firms, right? I, yeah. mean, I would guess that most of the firms you work for is the first time they're doing something like this. I could be wrong, but. No, I, I think you're right. I'm, I'm actually okay. thinking this through. I think it is the first time I, I don't believe I've worked with anyone that's already had a fractional person. Yeah. Um, references. I think speaking with right. folks yes. that, that you know, someone has worked with is obviously really important. Also asking questions like, what if, how would you handle, you know, your typical interview questions that are open-ended, I think are really helpful. And basically those questions around what's really important to the to the person that would be working with a fractional professional. So if it's the managing partner, if that managing partner wants to be kept informed, really focusing on that. <laughs> focusing on how the individual fractional, you know, prospect handles difficult situations and our difficult partners, like talking about that and really looking at the facial expression and the body language when they respond to see if that person is comfortable with their firm. Right. That's great. One more question I have for you, which just came to mind, and then uh, we'll release you from this segment of the interview. Are people asking you for standard operating procedures, processes, workflows these days? Because I know that's a major concern for a lot of law firms. And if so, how do you support that need? So... Um, great question. The answer is yes. And they don't always say, oh, we want a workflow. It may be, you know, we don't understand why, you know, people aren't using a certain system and we're having cl- like client feedback that, you know, the client service isn't as good as it should be. It leads usually into what are your, what's expected of the folks that work at your firm. And two, do they know that's expected? Three, Usually the answer is yes. And the third question is, is it is it documented and given out at onboarding and trained? And then usually it, it can, the answer can be no at, at that yeah. point. And right. then it leads into 
SOWs and, and workflows and those types of needs. And that's part of when I work with a firm on a fractional basis, that's usually a very big focus in addition to documenting. Oh, yeah. Things like yeah. the insurance, the vendors, you know, renewals of equipment and leases, financial windows, like things that aren't that exciting but are really important. Yes. Documenting those and then learning how the firm does things and putting it into writing and making sure that people are aware of it. That was pretty good. Margaret, will you come back for the last section? I will. Yeah. So we're going to take one final sponsor break so you can hear more about what our sponsors can do for your law practice. Then stay tuned for the rump roast. It's even more supple than the roast beast. Simplify. With Cosmolex, the only fully integrated practice management solution. Everything you need, accessible anywhere. Trust and general accounting is built in, so you don't need QuickBooks. Cosmolex's Money Finder reminds you to bill for work you put into client matters so you don't leak money. That's messy. Lower cost, better business, and less frustration. Yes, please. It's all built in with Cosmolex. Free trial and... Take 20% off your first year at Cosmolex.com. Contract automation isn't a trend. It's a strategic imperative. Though big players in the e-sign world will make you believe implementing it will cost you big bucks and more than a few headaches, it doesn't have to be that way. DocuB is an easy-to-onboard, full suite of products and includes e-signature, brilliant workflow capabilities, and AI contract automation at nearly half the price of those out-of-touch behemoths. The one thing DocuB doesn't automate? Their customer service. Visit get.docub.com slash contracts to set up a call with a real live person. DocuB will be with you every step of the way. Welcome to the rear end of the legal toolkit. That's right, it's the rump roast. It's a grab bag of short form topics, all of my choosing. Why do I get to pick? Because I'm the host. Today, I want to play a little game I like to call Not-So-Happy Endings. So I talked about fractured fairy tales in my monologue for this show. And we're going to talk a little bit more about fractured fairy tales. Margaret, let me ask you, do you remember fractured fairy tales from back in the day? No. Okay. You're going to have to listen to the monologue. Have you ever watched Rocky and Bullwinkle when you were a yes, kid? Yes. But I didn't love them, but I did. I loved Rocky and Bullwinkle. I'm a Scooby-Doo person. That's fair. I like Scooby-Doo as well. I've done a monologue on Scooby-Doo previously. There was like this little segment where they would do like these parodies of fairy tales in Rocky and Bullwinkle, and they were called Fractured Fairy Tales. You can watch them all on YouTube. They're great. So today, I want to continue the fairy tale theme, and I want to quiz you on fairy tales. So here's how we're going to play. I'm going to name a popular fairy tale, and then you're going to guess the original ending. I'm not going to make this super hard. I'm going to give you a multiple choice, multiple, multiple choice list. And fair warning, these fairy tales get pretty dark. So not the Disney versions, Snow White, the end of the original version of Snow White. What happens? The seven dwarfs tear the evil queen's limbs off. The prince rejects Snow White, who then commits suicide by jumping off a cliff or the evil queen is forced to wear hot iron shoes and to dance until she dies. Really like positive stuff here. <laughs> Can you pick the original ending? Number three. Ah, excellent. You're correct. Thank you. How did you know that? I just know. 
Well, I, I'm I'm impressed. All right, you're one for one. Okay. This is impressive. Do I win something? Okay. <laughs> no, you don't win anything. Pride. Okay. Pride. Okay. You get to laugh at the people who totally shit the bed when they do the segment. Okay. <laughs> All can right. Can you but give that's me the names? That's so I, I can... will. I will. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> that's only the first question, though. Little Mermaid. Here are your options. The mermaid can kill the prince, decides not to, and instead commits suicide by jumping in the sea. Two. The mermaid does kill the prince but remains a human and can no longer speak. Or three, founder of the fish goes berserk and has to be put down by a SWAT team. Which of the options is correct? She jumps in the sea and kills herself. Wow, you're really good at fairy I am. tales. Thank you. And she turns into foam, right, is my understanding? It's so sad. I want people to know, like, we have not prepped you for this. I had no idea no. you were a fairy tale expert. This and is now what I, did. I look like the fool. Okay, all right, here we go. Okay. Rapunzel. Rapunzel gets a horrible perm and flees into the forest, never to be seen again. I've been there. <laughs> Two, Rapunzel <laughs> falls to her death from the tower when her godmother cuts her hair mid-climb. Or last, the evil godmother convinces the prince that Rapunzel has died. He flings himself from the tower and is blinded, which is the actual ending of Rapunzel. Two, her hair is cut. I, I have three. No, now I'm now I, now I'm like now I'm second guessing myself because you're so good at this. <laughs> I'm so confident my answer. Okay. The prince falls. His eyes are gouged out or whatever by the thorn bushes at the bottom of the tower. But still, you're on a roll. You're two Thank for you. three. This is terrible. I know, okay. This is this is really damaging. This is why Can I know children listen to the podcast. Answer just just to be sure though. Yeah, I will. I will. Okay. Thank I, will, you. I I will make sure that that is correct. And if it is not, I will put a disclaimer on this podcast. About Thank my you. own idiocy. Okay. Okay. Cinderella. Cinderella. Slightly trick question here. I'm going to warn you of that. First, Cinderella kills her evil stepmother by slamming the lid of a chest on her throat, breaking her neck. Two, the evil stepsisters slice off portions of their own feet to try to fit in the glass slipper. This is discovered, and then birds peck their eyes out, because of course they do. And lastly, Cinderella is home alone and booby traps the house using paint cans and other household goods while her real mom is flying back from Paris so she won't be alone on Christmas Day. Which is actually the ending of Cinderella. <laughs> I'm going to go with two. I think that the evil stepsisters cut their feet off to try to squeeze into the shoes. You are correct, fairy tale oh, master. Yes. However, in alternate versions of the story, one is also correct. All right. I know this may be the best performance in the rump roast of all time. So pressure, Peter Pan. okay. Peter Pan. One, Captain Hook feeds Peter Pan to a crocodile by dangling him from his ship. Two, Peter Pan kills children when they grow up in Neverland. Three, Peter Pan adopts a chimp named Bubbles and builds a mansion that he names Neverland. One. It is two. Two. No. Two. Peter Pan stops children from going up by killing them. I'm shocked. Really sad. Really sad. I'm shocked, by the yeah. way. Yeah, I, I know. I, I wouldn't count Peter Pan for that either. All right, last one. And then we can go back to watching the Disney movies of fairy tales or watch the Frasher fairy tales if I'll you want to. I'll never look at it the same again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Little Red Riding Hood, the original ending to Little Red White Riding Hood. I played Little Red Riding Hood in plays. Okay. So this should, this should be easy for you. Although I, I would bet the plays that you were in did not share this ending. So option one the wolf <laughs> eats both the grandmother and Little Red Riding Hood. 
Option two, Little Red Riding Hood eats the grandmother and the wolf. Surprise. Number three, the wolf chokes on the donut that Little Red Riding Hood brings him. Fortunately, she knows the Heimlich maneuver and saves him, but he's still hungry, so he eats her anyway. Original ending of Little Red Riding Hood. Number one is correct. Correct. Margaret, amazing work here. Amazing work. Thank you. That was one of the finest performances in Rumpro's history. I'm so so incredibly proud. Will you make sure that you give me the names of the I'm going to check the Rapunzel answer for you. Yeah. And then I'm going to give you a list of people to harass online who did poorly on this. I'm all over it. And I don't know. We may have to institute a prize now. We might have to name it after you. The Margaret Burke Quiz Prize. I'm so flattered. Thank you. (laughs) This was fun. And so check out Fractured Fairy Tales. You're going to love it. Thank you for coming on. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Have a good rest of the day. Thank you. Take care. Take care. If you want to find out more about Margaret Burke and MB Law Firm Consulting, visit mblawconsulting.com. That's M, letter M, B, the letter B, lawconsulting.com, mblawconsulting.com. Now, for those of you listening and fondling yourselves in Ball Play, Alabama, I've got a great Spotify playlist for you. These are all songs that are related to fairy tales in some way. Now, I've run out of time, so I won't be able to stick my dick in the mashed potatoes. In my defense, I did not know it was going to be that kind of party. This is Jared Korea reminding you not to eat the yellow snow. Unless it's lemon shaved ice, and maybe not even that. Workers' Comp Matters is a podcast dedicated to exploring the laws, the landmark cases, and the true stories that define our workers' compensation system. I'm Judd Pierce, and together with Alan Pierce, we host a different guest each month as we bring to life this diverse area of the law. Join us on Workers' Comp Matters on the Legal Talk Network.